Welcome to Impact the World, the show for and about creatives, changemakers, and entrepreneurs. This is a conversation episode where a special guest shares with me what they are creating and the behind the scenes journey of their experience. Welcome to Impact the World. And today's show, we are featuring none other than Emmanuel Dagger. Emmanuel is just one of the kindest people I have met in our field of work. And he does so much in so many different ways. He is an intuitive, he has developed the core work method, and he is also a musician and a sound healer. So it was great to get to talk to him. And you can learn more about Emmanuel and his work by visiting his website, emmanueldagger.com. As usual, we put all links in the show notes beneath this episode. And if you enjoy our show, please do head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a rating or review because that's the best way you can support the show and help us get these episodes to more people. Enjoy today's episode. So I'm really thrilled to welcome to the show today my friend Emmanuel Dagger. Emmanuel, thank you for being here. Oh, it's such an honor to be here with you today, brother. Thank you so much for having me. So, Emmanuel, I was thinking about you on the way to work today and thinking about this interview. And one of the things I wanted to share with anyone who is perhaps new to you and your work is that I know many people in our field, but you are one of the kindest people in our field that I have met. And that was something that was evident and immediate. Like as soon as I met you, you were just exceptionally kind. Um, you helped me out in an incredible way when you didn't really know me. And uh, that was just, it left an imprint on me. And I've witnessed that aspect of you playing out in your life and in your work in recent years and in the times that I've spent with you since. So <laughs> I want to ask you, because I think that value of kindness and generosity as we know, is a really important spiritual and human principle, but it's not something that everyone is endowed with, or it's something that for some people, they have to uncover a lot of wounds to be able to get to. So I'm curious, because that is like one of the things I think about when I think of you, how did that come to be in you or what inspired or cultivated that, that I would say energy, but I also in your case, know it's an intention and something mm -hmm. that you you create. Uh, thank you so much for that, brother. You know, compliments are not usually my thing of uh, receiving. So I, I will receive that. <laughs> I will receive that. Um, so thank you for that. And I think you know a little bit about my background, but I'll share a little bit more about that in a moment. But ultimately, um, the thing that is my mantra every day, every morning is be light keep it light. You know, I remember my grandmother um, as a kid when I was, was really young and there was a war going on and we were losing a lot of family and friends and I was just seeing a lot of devastation. Um, she would always instill that in me every day, you know, she would, whether if we spoke, um, you know, on the phone or, or in person, she would remind me to keep it light just keep it like, like the sun. She said, hence the yellow, right? Um, so she said, 
if you shine like the sun, nothing can ever hurt or harm you or touch you because your spirit is the sun. Your core essence is the sun and beyond. So that's really stuck with me. And it really, you know, the only time you'll ever see me not be the kindest is when I see injustice against a group of people or a community uh, that is being hurt or harmed or bullied. And even then I, I am, I try to come from a very loving, compassionate space, but really it is in my DNA because I got to see my grandma and my mom uh, practice that beautiful um, presence of kindness in such a way that I said, I want to be just like that. That's sort of how it began. And it's interesting, you know, your mom, I know, and she's very dear to me. She's a, she's a, she's a, she's a force of, of, of love and of, and of life. And yet, when you and I co we, we came together to do an event in LA in 2014. And I remember being very struck by the story that you told on stage about your childhood in the Lebanon and what you went through. And it kind of made sense to me the, the spirit that you and your mom have, even though you, you run it in very different ways, the two of you, but you have that spirit of presence, which I think usually is only in people who have come through trials by fire and have a real perspective on why we should be grateful for life. And would you mind just sharing that story of kind of some of what you went through? Because it was very impactful to me and everyone in the room that day. Oh, thank you so much. And and one thing that I would say, um, you know, this summer we experienced some more trauma in Lebanon, as many of you um, or may not or may know. Uh, but basically, the Lebanese people are very resilient. And they're very, you know, we've seen it all. We've suffered, especially since uh, 1975. Um, you know, it's just been one thing after the other. And when such hardship occurs... You have two choices. One choice is to be angry and just, you know, looking at the world, a very jaded perspective. But one thing that I've noticed just having, you know, living in, in California and meeting so many Lebanese people here more so than maybe in Lebanon, um, there's this beautiful spirit of, of lightness, of of kindness, of they will do, they will give you the shirt off their back. They will uh, support you in ways that maybe someone who hasn't struggled so much um, may not do. So that is something that I love so much about the Lebanese people is even though they've been through so much, even though they've seen the depths of despair and suffering, they chose Within, when within the core of their being, they chose to be positive, to be optimistic, to make a difference, to be grateful. Um, you know, it's, it's, I don't want to say unfortunate, but I just feel like we're headed towards a direction where we don't have to suffer in order to be kind and loving. I do feel like that world is coming. It's manifesting. Um, but for us to get there, a lot of us did choose on some level, on a, on a spirit core essence level, to enter a world of such density so that we can alchemize it into the light. Mm. So 
coming from the background you came from and holding the perspective you hold, you know, you've been working, doing your healing work for as long as I can remember. I mean, I remember first seeing one of your um, your energy forecasts out there and I was really struck because I was like, oh, I, I was doing a similar thing and yours were always so beautifully written. So how did you begin to go into healing? Like what, what led you down this path? What was the spark for you? Mm. Well, my grandma was the town intuitive. So uh -huh. everyone would come from all different towns. They would come and uh, get coffee readings. There's the Turkish coffee. You flip it upside down and she was amazing at that. And also the tea leaves. Um, and she would always say, you know, no, because they would want to give her money, but she would just say, uh, be kind, be loving to one another. Uh, so I really got to see that early on. And my grandmother, my mom told me later on as I grew up that my grandmother recognized a very similar energy. It's the empath. We know it. You are that, Lee. I see that very clearly. And the empath who is here to just be that space, that compassionate, that unconditional love for the world. And of course, as I grew, I needed to learn how to use that in a way where I wasn't getting drained and, and tired all the time because I saw what happened with my grandma ultimately uh, because she was taking on so much energy. However, um, she did tell my mother that, uh, you know, keep him open. No matter what happens, keep him open. No matter what he says to you, and if he sees spirits or if he hears things or feels things, just let him know that it's okay to stay open. And ultimately, I sort of came in that way. And my mom, I'm just so grateful. As you know her, you've met her. She just let me remain open. And it just allowed me to seamlessly go into this as an art, as a, as a healing, um, I call it art, I don't call it work, where I get to just be that space holder for those. And of course, I learned and I studied and I have a spiritual psychology background. But um, ultimately, it's really just me being myself. Yeah. So how have you been doing this year? You know, you talk about holding space for others and being an empath, which we know takes, it's, you know, it has its own challenges and especially until you learn how to do it in a way that's balanced for you, it has challenges. How have you found the very intense energy of 2020, like with the work you do in the large community that you work with, how, how are you doing? Mm, thank you for asking. Uh, not a lot of people do, so... Uh, and I want to ask you afterwards how you're doing. Basically, you know, for me, this is this is my time to step up even more. And when it started happening, I remember getting a text from you actually, and and you said, you know, they might be closing things down and, and shutting things down. Um, I just knew that I had to step up even more. Of course, I'm always putting out whether it's through social media or at live events and workshops and one-on-one uh, -on -one sessions, I'm always in that mode. But for some extraordinary reason, I just felt to do it more. And so I just started uh, the first things that I, that I really um, felt guided to do was to just give a lot of my stuff away as, as 
as free gifts and just, you know, whether they're sessions and meditations or music or whatever, everything in between. Um, I just felt guided to give. And then, you know, I just started doing a lot of um, live uh, work on on Zoom and and, uh, Facebook lives and things like that. So that lasted for about three or four months, like every day pounding the pavement, they would say here um, in the States. And then I got exhausted. Then I got, then all of a sudden around early July, I don't know what happened, but I started feeling an energetic dip. Mm-hmm. And that energetic dip felt like a depression. I, you know, I've, I've had that experience before in, in life many times, but this one felt a little bigger. So of course, I checked in and, and asked what, what happened, what's going on. And ultimately, it was just imbalance. I threw myself without even checking in on making sure that I'm taking care of myself physically, emotionally, uh, mentally. So I just kind of kept going and going. And then the gas started to get empty. So around July, I started to, I took a break. I stopped doing videos. I just sort of said, you know what? I'm going to give myself a few months to just reassess and come back to what is the most important in life, which is taking care of myself, taking care of uh, my well-being so that I can be that son that my grandma always used to tell me to be um, for the world. So that shift, you know, obviously the mind is like, no, but I want to do, but no, no. But ultimately I did. And it has been extraordinary. And I started working out. You had mentioned that I'm looking healthy. I started working out. And those who know me know that I'm, I have such an aversion to working out, but I realize how important it is for our spiritual essence. It really gives me such an outlet, especially right now um, with all the changes going on in the world. So I'm back. I'm making sure that I'm in a state and operating from a state of balance. And we know that story of if you're on a plane and there's some turbulence and the oxygen masks come down, you want to make sure that you put yours on first to make sure you take care of others. So that really, I've heard of it before, but until this year, I didn't get it and I got it. So that's how I'm doing. How are you doing? (laughs) Well, you know, there were some similarities. I kind of rolled my sleeves up and I, and I feel like I felt everything coming about two weeks ahead of everyone else. Not, I'm sure there were other people who did, but what I mean by that is I could feel this oncoming tsunami and, and I, that made me go, oh my God, I need to do a bunch of stuff. I need to do an extra energy update. You know, I, I could just feel, because I could feel what was about to wash through people, even if it hadn't hit them yet. So, um, but, but I had a, I had a, I will say the last two years, I've probably been more routine and balance oriented as a practice than ever in my life. And so I think in a way I was well prepared. I was kind of, in, it was kind of the right, the right timing for me to be able to do it and not get capsized. Mm. And of course, you know, doing this work where you're a messenger for self-care, you've got to really shut your ears if you're not going to listen, you know. So so it's like, you know, I pay attention to what's coming through me for others, some of which is just common wisdom threads that 
you know, I'm supposed to be a spokesperson for, and some of which are intuitive messages that are directed or worded in a certain way at the right time so that we hear them. So no, I've, I've been, you know, it's been a roller coaster like it has been for everybody, but I, I haven't, my, my life has not been rocked in quite the way that other people's have. And so I, I just have a lot of, you know, compassion for that. And, um, therefore do what you can if you're if you're steady do what you can you know yes and then just be and continue being that anchor for others to really step back into their balance into their uh, most empowered self i love that yeah and you know it's been an interesting year because there are so many good things too i mean as uh, that we're seeing and that we're seeing in people who are waking up and kind of coming to themselves and so one of the things I wanted to ask you about is that one of your, if you like, one of the main things about your work is something called the core work method. And as we're talking about balance and our core and being stable, what is the core work method and how did you develop it? Yes. So thank you for that question. So the core work method was really birthed from this deep desire to make healing super easy for people and for them to empower themselves and to understand that it is very accessible. And so sometimes I know in, my, in the beginning of my journey into the holistic arts when I was a teenager, it, it can be overwhelming and a lot of the language can feel very out there, even though I was always open and very connected to source and in, in within me, I didn't really understand the language of such so much dialogue in the new age community. And so, you know, through, through that, um, and then of course, you and I are both Taurus. So um, there's a part of us that's very earthy and very grounding. So that part of me, you know, decided to, um, you know, go to school and study psychology and have that be the foundation. And so the core work really is a bridge between the esoteric, the spiritual aspect and the very grounded uh, approach so that we can really bring real palpable healing for the community, whether it is the mainstream community or the new age community in a way that is practical, practical and easy. So the way that it works is basically the core work is you remembering who you are, remembering the patterns of pure perfection that reside in every cell fiber of your being. And you do that through empowered questions. And you do that through awareness of self and who you are outside of the story, outside of the illusion per se. And so obviously, you know, we could do a process at some point, whether it's today or in, in the future, but it really is them coming back to themselves and recognizing the perfection through empowered questions and through, uh, there's definitely more components to it, but I would say that is the easiest way to say, to explain the core work method. Yeah. And I saw you guiding a few different people through it on the day that we did our event together and it was great. And you, um, is it something that you, that you, the more you do it, the more it becomes ingrained and, and there are ways to, 
once you understand what the what the method is, that you can keep reapplying it yourself. I'm guessing that's how it works. Absolutely. So, you know, neuroscience shows us that it takes 21 days to end or break a habit and then 28 days to begin a new one. Ultimately, the core work method is really to help us tap into new neural waves um, that we may not have been really aware of or or let's say, I think they say we only use five to 6% of our brains if we're not meditating and, and really conscious. So it helps us tap into more aspects of ourself through divine wisdom, guidance, intellect from your higher I am presence, you will start to receive and, and it kind of starts to become second nature, starts to become part of you. So for me, you know, whether it's speaking to you and, and taking a few moments prior to meditate and really get into that part of me, which is, you know, the universe, which is within all of us, uh, to spending time with my dog. I mean, it's always really just being mindful and living and breathing meditation. So the core work really is helping us through feeling, through um honoring all aspects of ourselves, including emotions that a lot of us tend to push down and we kind of, you know, don't want to feel. It really helps us embrace all of that because right now, especially during what's happening on the, in, the, in the world, there's a lot of fear um, running rampart. And that is making a lot of people make decisions and choices that is not necessarily beneficial for their highest and greatest good. Now, I know everyone is exactly where they're meant to be and eventually they will realign with their highest uh, path, but it really does help to save us um, from having to go down the path of, of struggle and suffering and pain because a lot of that is us resisting what needs to be felt and honored. So the core work, one aspect of it is through these empowered questions helps us to fully feel a lot of the things that we were kind of ignoring and then helps us move beyond it because on the other side of it are the the miracles, are the huge breakthroughs. And the way that it showed up for me was I used to have scoliosis, a 29 and a half degree curve in my spine. I used to have really bad skin psoriasis and a lot of other skin issues. I was mute, silent for three years. I had a stutter uh, for many years. So public speaking was probably worse than dying for me. So really there was so much that I was able to use myself as the guinea pig per se, all the PTSD that I had gone through in the war and having seen and experienced such despair. So I knew that I went through all of that so that I can create something not only to help me, but hopefully to help others. And since then, you know, we've helped thousands of amazing people from all walks of life backgrounds uh, uh, to really come back to the patterns of pure perfection that is always inside of them, even when the mind forgets. Hmm. And it's interesting you say that because one of the things I'm aware of with you is you have this extraordinary Facebook community. I mean, you have other communities too, but whenever I'm on your Facebook page, there is just this kind of, um, it's almost like being in a stadium and hearing people cheering all the time. You know what I mean? It's like there's this incredibly positive and I want to say cheering energy and cheerleading energy. That's kind of what I always feel when I'm over there. And 
what's interesting is how how strong all of the commenters want to keep that alive and keep generating that together. So it's 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 really it's a very strong, powerful. There's something very alchemical about that, and it's really woven into your community. Mm. So I'm curious, Emmanuel. You know, it's one thing for us to talk about the work that you've created and that you feel compelled to create. I mean, we'll talk about your music too in in a, in a moment. But how did you go from witnessing your grandmother? being the intuitive, you know, tea leaf reader in the town square to going onto the internet, which, because you, you're like me, you've been at this a long time. So we were there in the earlier days of, of doing this work on the internet. Now there are far more people doing it. But what was that step? How did you find your way across to the internet? And how did you take that first step to build a website or get a Facebook page or how did it all begin for you, the actual nuts and bolts of doing this work? Mm. That, that is such a good question. And one thing that I would say is when I first started, I knew I needed to be online and have, you know, start putting myself out there when I realized how afraid I was of being seen there was a big fear that I had because of my upbringing and having, uh, you know, lived in a convent for many years and having to hide and having to just basically um, live at below poverty level in, in so many ways, no electricity and all that. You just sort of don't want to stand out. You don't want to stick out. You just kind of want to be in the background. And so at that time, I was really doing everything that was making me afraid. Everything I had made a promise to myself that whatever scares the you know what out of me, I am going to do that. So I um, set the intention. That was the first intention. And then I started to just observe because I study, I learn, I just want to see what what others are doing. So once Facebook started or um, Instagram, I kind of wanted to just see what the everyday person, how they were using it. And I started seeing that a lot of people were using it to vent, to complain, to kind of just let out energy. And to me, that didn't feel expansive. It just didn't feel good. Actually, as an empath, many empaths can really vouch for this. You just kind of carry that. It lingers with you for a while. So before my first post, before my first uh, video, before my first sharing, I decided that I am going to create this as an extension of me to be the best version of myself. So I don't even see social media as social media. I see it as my home that is just an extension of this home. And so how do I want to be treated by people? How do I want to have a, what kind of community do I want to have? What kind of um, miracles would I like to experience? So really it was me speaking to myself and giving myself what I need, whether it's a pep talk for that day or, you know, something that felt like it was going to be very healing and comforting and empowering. And I started to watch how people really felt that they needed that too. And I know there's so many people doing it out there, but 
when you do it from a space, and I speak to a lot of my clients who are you know, growing their business, I speak to them and let them know that when you see it as business, it becomes a chore. Mm. And you start to like almost resent it at times because you're like, oh, it's not giving me the likes that I want. It's a, and I've seen that so many people, they'll, they'll go for a year or two and then you never hear from them again. Mm. And you're like, what happened? And so for me, it's not about anything except for me allowing myself to express in a way that is the best version of me. And the best version of me is authentic, is real, tells the truth, um, and people feel that, and is all about inclusivity and being part of a community. That's part of who I want to be and, and choose to be. And so that's sort of how the online stuff um, happened and the the whole community there. And that really did start to transpire into live events, just like you and, and doing the same thing, just reaching people in person. And I know right now, so many are missing that, but we'll get back to that again. And it has been extraordinary. I don't get tired from that aspect, except for during this whole year, um, putting out so much in a way that was starting to take away from me being true to my true self. Yeah. Uh, but and, and it was just a good reminder. It was good feedback to come back to that. But um, before that, it was very, you know, structured, very easy, very flow oriented. And I think it's good to remember to come back to that. So hopefully that answered your question. Yeah, no, it did. And, and it's interesting because I always talk about um, to anybody who is in the wellness or the healing or the inspirational field um, and going into making it a job, making it a career, not just uh, something that they do as a hobby or a pastime, as, as many of us used to before we did this for work. Um, you know, it's, it's its own growth journey. And the, I won't even say the business side, although for sure, I had a lot to learn about business, you know, because you do have to kind of understand numbers at a certain point and budgets and oh, no, that won't quite work. You know, you do have to bring a certain level of that uh, to what you are intuitively doing. And I think that's always the way to do it. Your intuition leads the way. And if your intuition isn't leading the way, you're in trouble. But strategy can back up what the intuition wants to do. It can like kind of run some checks and balances. But I think I'm curious for you, something that just came to mind is, you know, you, you have on your team, your mom, and I also know some very close friends, similar story for me, you know, I have one of my family members working with me and then, you know, my, my team become, you know, they become family. I'm curious what learnings did you have to go through around alignment with working with others? Because I know that's a really tricky one for most of us when you come from a healing, empathic, compassionate nature in, yeah, taking on people who maybe aren't appropriate for the job or the role, but you do it because you, you either think that it's the right thing or, yeah, how, how has that path been for you? And what have you learned in terms of the importance of, being in the right alignment with your team members when you're holding space for, for want of a better word, your mission? So I, you know, it's funny. Some people call me Manny Poppins, but I see my mom as Mary Poppins. And so she's been a teacher, as you know, for 35 years in the education system. And 
just getting to sit in and she was actually, um, when we lived in the convent, she uh, tutored me and taught me. So I really got to see her approach. And it was so magical to me because it was fun. It was easy. And so that is really the foundation for how I want, whether it's doing work and and helping people uh, with the healing work that I do, or the team that I've built that we are co-creating this beautiful um, working business side. So it really is about fun, play, and respect and honor, and giving them the space to thrive. And some people... As you know, uh, we've both experienced that quite a bit. They they may need a little bit more structure and more uh, to be told what to do. And I that's just not really something that I, it may be something that's more comfortable for you. But for me, it's no, actually, it's, some, I, it's I not. Prefer <laughs> have, I prefer. I mean, I'll I'll do it if I have to. But I prefer I prefer being on a team where the people who yes. I work with are good at what they do. And, and, and I do what, you know, I prefer that. Mm-hmm. Same here. So, you know, it does make us have higher standards, as you know, um, but you do give them that space, that breathing room, the time that is needed to just really step up for the whole uh, team and create this amazing um, thing that they may not even have known that they could tap into whether it's a videographer or a sound person or a social media person. So really giving them the space and obviously uh, positive reinforcement. I know that's how I like to receive uh, feedback, positive reinforcement and, and um, giving in a very gentle way. Uh, if something's not working, coming from a very loving, compassionate place, they can feel that. And, and it is something that I've had to learn because in the beginning, I would do it to such a degree that I would actually have people that were working for me start to be abusive and to be very uh, disrespectful in that way. But I have a buffer now, you know who it is, um, who gets to take care of all of that. Um, And for me, just to be that light, that love for them, the way that I am for my community, I want that to be in the business as well, because that, you know, for me, business is personal. It's not separate than who we are. And I don't say personal as in I'm attached and in the sense of, uh, you know, taking things personally. It's more about me being the true authentic version of myself. And the business is just a reflection of that. So I think uh, when you hear somebody say, oh, it's, it's just business, it's not personal, Run the other direction. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Or, or leave the job. That is the energy around. Yeah. I love your questions. I've never been asked these questions before. Well, good. I'm glad I'm, I'm, glad I'm doing something different for you today. <laughs> um, I'm, it's funny, you know, the one, the one thing that this is a bit of a complete, completely going somewhere else. But one of the things I was reflecting on driving here today to speak to you is your music. So you and I both share a love of music. And I remember one of the first videos of yours I ever saw, and this must be 12 years ago. Help me out with the song title. Is it Beautiful World? Yep. And I remember seeing you do this video. And I think you were in a room with a guitarist. 
And I was blown away by your vocals, just the the your the quality of your voice. And you know, anyone who is a vocalist knows that it's not actually easy to be really good at vocals, like especially live. I mean, it's quite rare that someone is a kind of blinding live vocalist um, because it's, it, there's a certain energy and effort required. And I remember being struck by that. But more recently, you shared with me some of the compositions you've done over the last few years. And you sent me um, so many recordings and it was like listening to movie soundtracks. And you had composed all of these. And I was like, how on earth did you do this? So tell me a little bit about you, the composer, and the energy that you're channeling when you do that and how that has developed for you. Because in, in, the, in the time I've known you, your relationship to music and composition has just, just keeps adding layer after layer of mastery. Mm. Thank you, brother. Thank you so much. I will receive that compliment as well. <laughs> I'm really putting you on the hot spot today. Sorry, Emmanuel. Uh, Thank you. I, you're teaching me how to receive today. Um, so the one thing that I'll share, this is more on a personal side, is when I was living in the convent um, during brief ceasefires, like there'll be a few days here and there, they had this um, VCR and the only movie they had was The Sound of Music. Mm. And I think that's what I grew up on. I literally watched it. My mom says thousands of times when it was over, I'd want to watch it again. And now looking back at it, and I, and I had this realization probably as I came of age as a teen, it really was very similar to what I was going through. It was so similar. You know, they lived in the mountains and, and she wanted to go sing and, and that opening scene where she's doing, you know, the twirl and that, that, that was a saving grace for me. I get goosebumps when I think about it. And I remember it was such an escape and I remember, oh, I want to do that. And so when there were times where there were brief ceasefires, I would go, you know, the, we lived different parts of Lebanon, but during that time we lived in the convent outside of Beirut in the mountains. And, um, you know, definitely there was like tanks and, and things, military people, but there was also beautiful fields of flowers and there were mountains behind me. And there was the, there was the birds and, and the, the wind and all of that. So I would literally just live that scene, that first scene from the sound of music and I would hear music and I would hear my own music and I would hear, you know, how the grass was playing with the wind and how the, you know, birds were adding the little elements of that. So that fast forward, uh, when we came to the States, I remember I was, uh, my mom wanted me to take piano lessons. Like that was the biggest thing she wanted because she always wanted that for herself, but they couldn't afford it. So she kind of wanted to make sure I did that. And I took piano lessons from my music teacher from my school, my elementary school at that time, um, or may have been middle, middle school. And just barely learning English, still, you know, coming to a new country. There was this loving energy that she had. And, you know, we didn't really speak much, but, uh, you know, music, she, she really just felt that I had something. 
And then in fifth grade, um, she she was part of the talent show or like the musical, I think it was The Wizard of Oz. And she didn't know I sang, but she asked me, she said, can you just do this? So she was playing the piano and she said, can you do these notes? And I did them. And she, she's like, okay, so what's this note? And then I said, C sharp, mm-hmm. what's this note? F, whatever. So from there, she said, I think you have perfect pitch and perfect I think pitch. you have a pretty decent voice. Yeah. And, and so she made me audition. I became the Tin Man. Uh, that's kind of one of the ways I learned English faster than normal because I was watching The Wizard of Oz and trying to figure out how and what they're saying. Um, and then just my love for music, it was just the kindness that she showed. And, and um, you know, I started entering competitions and, and uh, opera, I, uh, classical, all arias, doing all that stuff. Went to uh, school for music as well in the beginning uh, Indiana University, Bloomington. And so really learned the, the trades and, and took some sound and engineering classes and, and mixing and all of that. Came to Los Angeles and, you know, the rest was history. And what place does music have in your life today? Oh my gosh, probably aside from my mom, probably right up there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And I love Julie Andrews too. <laughs> I'd love her? to meet her. I have I would, not. I then have you not. need to make that happen. We need to, okay, we need to put that out there. If anyone's watching and has contact, <laughs> just email my website and we'll make this happen. We'll make this happen. I just would love to tell her that story. You know, she really, um, her voice, her presence, her, she was a very free spirit. In that, and I think that's how she is in real life. Yeah. She's a Libra, I believe. Yeah. Um, so it really was very impressional for me. Yeah, the few times I've seen her on video, she for sure has a very special energy. You can you can feel it when because you, you know video people can't people can't disguise themselves on video. So you can you can feel it from her. So yeah, yeah. Okay, well we've put that on the vision board, Emmanuel. That's going to happen. Yes. Yes. Um, I'm I'm curious about something. I mean, you know, you saying you had perfect pitch makes sense because that was what I felt when I when I heard your vocals. And then this music that you composed, and please remind me the name of that album that you sent me. Yes, so there's a few. I think the one I sent you was called I Am. Most, yeah, that was the most recent one and there's many tracks. It's it's a it's a it's a symphony really. I mean, there's so much in there, but it's all designed to help you heal. And I saw around the time it came out, some of the comments coming back from people. So could you just explain a little about the intent behind that music you created? Absolutely. So we, you know, again, the the practical part of me and the dreamer part of me wanted to marry the two. And so we used, we worked with a lot of neuroscience principles. We used uh, binaural beats. We used uh, the solfeggio um, tones, the 528 hertz frequency, and, and some others. So really bringing a lot of the sound healing components to the type of music that you don't necessarily hear in that way. Usually when you hear sound healing, it's very meditative and very um, 
almost like monotonous, kind of repetitive. And what I wanted to create was something very cinematic and very panoramic. So it's, you know, uh, 360 degrees. It's not just here. It's not just here. It's all over. So we usually ask that for the first time, if you're listening to them, uh, listen with headphones because you will feel that 360 degree experience. Um, but then, of course, you can be anywhere doing anything and listen and just just have it in the background. But ultimately, for me, music speaks. It's another language. And we've heard so many different, you know, people channel like yourself and do so many things. I think music is one of those ways that I am so grateful and honored to be able to do that. Mm. Um, and, you know, with that just making sure that the intention is always to elevate, expand, and remind people of who they really are beyond just this and seeing the true essence of who they are um, and connecting with that. And we've had so many amazing miracles because people were ready and people were willing to remember who they are. And when we remember who we are, we recognize we are the miracle. We are the reference point for the miracle that gets to just see more miracles all around us. Everything, in, as you know, um, that we see in our world, world is a reflection of how we are showing up for ourselves and for the world. So this music is here to support you in supporting yourself so that you can show up for the world in the most divine, glorious aspect of yourself. There is definitely more music in your future, my friend. I feel it like more, more time and energy going towards music and more people wanting that music from you. Not that they won't want all the other things too, but I just, as we're talking, I really feel that strongly. Thank you. I, I've always envisioned a concert. So mm -hmm. like doing a love of healing and work with maybe amazing speakers and healers like yourself doing a whole thing. And then in the evening, those who are musically inclined like you and I, we get to put on a performance and, and a concert and get people dancing and moving and just really feeling um, that 360 degree experience. Love it. Love it. So you've used the word miracles quite a few times and Miracles is a word that comes up a lot in, in and around you and your work, which makes sense. And I think one of the miraculous things that you have, that I've witnessed you help people with a lot over the years is moving from scarcity to abundance. So abundance is so often tied up in the human mind with the idea of money. And of course, that's where often our mind can go when we hear that word. But but for me, and I suspect for you and for most people watching, abundance really is the, the, the feelings of freedom and presence and gratitude and being able to be grateful for whatever is in front of you, because that gratitude is is far more abundant than, you know, a bunch of zeros in your bank account, because I know many people with loads of money who are quite miserable and I know many people who have very little in the way of means, but they, they are the richest people on the planet in terms of their attitude to life. So scarcity to abundance, you've become a bit of a mascot for that. <laughs> but a lot, of your, a lot of your community, why do you think that is? Mm. So I think you know a little bit about the story. When I was living in the convent, we slept in the basement where it was a cement floor. We had one thin blanket that mom and I had to share. Um, 
we had, you know, basically we had the pita bread every day, but one slice that we had to, you know, divide in, into two for both of us. And um, just no running water and, and just no electricity for weeks at a time. I mean, it really, it was the worst that the mind can experience. And so for me, it really developed this like taking risks thing because I'm like, you know what? I've been there. I've done that. I know what it feels like. I mean, even when I first moved to Los Angeles, I slept in a car for a few weeks, you know, and just, and I was okay with that because you you do with what you have. And so for me, I think taking risks um, has been one aspect of it. The other aspect is gratitude, like you said, and recognizing that money is, the money that we see in our life is actually a direct result of how we are treating ourselves. And we have been maybe seeing money as this lifeless object, this thing that, okay, I have a love-hate relationship with you. But ultimately, money is the embodiment, however it is right now, whether it's through credit cards or cash or whatever, um, it is the physical embodiment of this beautiful living breathing principle called the principle of circulation. And it's one of the many principles that govern this universe and many universes. So it's the understanding that what you put out, what you give, you will receive. And so if you are giving love, kindness, respect, taking care of yourself, giving, giving that uh, light to you first, and then doing that for the world around you, the universe is going to match that and mirror that for you. And so it sounds like airy-fairy, but it is a real palpable thing that I see all the time. And I love working with mantras. I love uh, Eastern mantras that I use. Um, Generosity. It's so interesting, Lee. Whenever I post something about generosity, in the beginning, it used to be crickets. Nobody, like, no, 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 we don't. Because if it means we have to give something, that means... It's something's going to be taken away. And so I kept sticking to posting a lot of things about generosity because I know how it works. I know that when you are generous with your time, you're, you're, if you do have some money and you, you're getting fed spiritually by a community or a church or whatever you're into, just giving from that, um, you know, uh, listening understanding, volunteering, whatever it is, being generous is one of, I, I call it, um, although I don't believe in steroids, but you know, it's like, it's, it's that, that uh, prosperity on steroids because it is such an untapped thing that a lot of people who are super happy and rich know and get. Um, so we have the same potential. We can tap into that ourselves whether it's just going around into your community or grocery store and, um, you know, placing little miracle cards and and this is a blessing for you, sending you so much love and light or placing some money in an envelope and uh, putting it on some random cars. I mean, I know it. the mind's like, ah, no, but those are things that help us stretch and expand and be uh, in that space of 
being open to the abundance around us because we're we're giving because we know there's so much that we are receiving. And so those are some quick little uh, things. But ultimately, I think the early days of having, I don't want to say having nothing because I did have love for my mom and my grandma. Like I had so, so much love. Yeah. So understanding that that was what I valued more than what was being presented as not having money. And I think once I realized that, I took risks and I, you know, sometimes you seem to lose everything, but then you gain everything. And I know you're a huge risk taker too, you know? So um, that's something that I would share. Oh, I love it. And it's good because, you know, the mind, especially when it comes to money, which can be a very wounded area, sometimes because of money itself and people's opinion about the very imbalanced um, world that we live in around the money system, but actually, a lot of the time, I think it's unconscious issues around energy and around giving and receiving that are being played out through money. And yet what I love about you as this bastion for abundance is because you had so little in the way of material abundance, yet you could recognize that love was your abundance. I think in a way, you're a slightly safer person to do it, to do this work with someone because if their excuse was, well, I'm in very unprivileged circumstances, you know, you can say, well, yes, so was I, because the principles remain the same. Putting money in the envelope, maybe you give someone 10 cents. You don't have to give someone $10 or $100, but the principles remain the same. It's like when I used to work with certain clients with money issues, I would say to them, save some money every week. And they would say, oh, I haven't got any money. And I'm like, save 25 cents. And then you'll have, you know, in so many months, you'll have 10 or $12 that you wouldn't have had otherwise. But what you're learning is that you don't have to always give it all away, or it doesn't, every last drop doesn't have to go away. You can reserve something over here, just playing with the way that we proportion energy, because so often you see people who have a pattern of behavior where they don't believe they're allowed to keep anything or have anything because of their indebtment to the people around them who have real issues around money. So they're just having to feed them all the time or because they were never shown mm-hmm. that, that they can hold something for themselves, whether it's a compliment, whether it's money, whether it's a home, who knows what it is. I mean, it shows up in many forms, but it's really all the same energy principle. That's so good. I'm yeah. feeling that deep. Yeah. So we're about to draw this to a close. <laughs> And I'm going to ask you a question. One of my favorite principles to live by is the truth that we never know how long we've got left on the planet. And for me, it makes me very present. The Z's are always saying it. And I think that we have an amnesia about that in the way that we live our lives. And when you remember that that's the truth, you're far more grateful and present. So just playing. If you only had one week left on the planet, I would like to know what you are grateful that you were able to receive in this life and what you are grateful that you were able to give to this life. I am so grateful that in this life, I got to remember the divinity in every human being and especially within myself, because ultimately that's what we're here to, to be 
self-realized. And I am so, so, so grateful that I got to get to this point. And of course, it's always growing and evolving. But if this was the last week, within every fiber, molecule, cell of my being, I am so grateful that I remembered who I am. And what was the second part of that? The second so, part. so it was what you were grateful that you received and what you were grateful that you've been able to give. Mm. I am so grateful that I was able to give life because it can be easy to get caught up in the struggles and the hurt and the pain and take away and, and sort of shut down. So I am so grateful, however it is, whether it's through music, whether it's through the presence of this physical person, um, whether it's friendships like the ones with you, whether it's posts, I'm grateful that I gave life. Hmm. Beautiful. Brother, you are a blessing. And I know I say that on behalf of the many people who, who not only see you that way, but feel you that way. So my wish for you in the coming years is that more blessings come your way, because I know for sure, if they do, you're only going to multiply those and turn them out and, and spread them around. So Thank you so much for being on the planet, doing what you do, but more importantly, being who you are. And um, I, for one, am blessed to know you. And I just want to say, ditto, same. You are a reflection. I'm a reflection of you. You are a, a reflection of me. And everything that you just said, I feel the same way. You've been like a big brother to me. And I'm just so grateful for what you're doing for humanity. Um, just by being you. So thank you. Thank you. And I feel that as we say that to each other, everyone who's listening, watching gets included in the same sentiment. It's a crazy world sometimes, but boy, oh boy, are we here for the, the transformation period. So yeah, thank you, Emmanuel. So for anybody who wants to connect more with Emmanuel and his work, you can visit his website, emmanueldagger.com. We will put that up on the screen for those of you who are watching. We will also put it in the notes underneath the video. And if you're listening, it will be inside the show notes. So big love until next time. Thanks for tuning in to Impact the World with my wonderful guest, Emmanuel Dagger. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of Impact the World. And if you want to go deeper and more in depth with my work, you should check out my members group, The Portal. You can find it at my website, leeharrisenergy.com or visit theportal.world.